Amen. So, we've been going through, uh, been going through 1 Corinthians. We've been going through the spiritual gifts. Um, and today is the gift that the Bible tells us that we, we should be the, the most eager to receive, the most sought-after gift. It says this in 1 Corinthians 14.1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Talked about this last week. We, we, this is where we're going. The gift of prophecy. What is, what is that? What is the gift of prophecy? And I fear that it has been made into something like the, a lot of confusion, a lot of understanding. You know, people think of it, uh, maybe they equate it with horoscopes or, or fortune tellers. Um, is, is, that, is that what prophecy is? Um, or, or here's the other, uh, the other end of the spectrum here, is that we were uneasy with this gift because um, it, 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 it puts, you know, we, we're thinking of end time prophecies of which a lot of them came to nothing. So then we get a little jaded on that. You know, I've got, I've got a whole stack of books in my office on end time prophecies of which most of those books, I would be, I'd feel guilty selling, selling them to somebody for 10 cents um, because they're all wrong. I mean, they, 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 like they, in, in 1988, Jesus come back in 1988. It didn't happen. So, and, and, and maybe because of all that, because of that, we're just like, I'm, I'm just, I'm not comfortable with this topic. What is this topic? What is, what is prophecy? Um, and, and as with uh, so many things, um, with, with religion, with God, things get neglected, things get abused. So we want to take a look at this today. And, and, and I want to begin in Deuteronomy 18, verse 14. This is what the Old Testament, the Old Testament says, uh, the nations you will dispose, um, the nations you will dispossess. Listen to those who, um, what does it say? The nations you will dispossess, listen to, listen to those who practice sorcery and divination. The, the Canaanites, the, talking about, Moses is saying, you're going to the promised land, the Canaanites, they practice sorcery, they practice divination, but as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do this. Do you get this? The, the, you, Christian people, God's people, we're not supposed to practice sorcery, we're not supposed to practice divination. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. This is Moses talking. The Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. Now, just starting right here, I think a very relevant question is, where do you get your, your source of information? Where do you get your understanding? It talks about uh, the Canaanites, they practice sorcery, they practice divination, but no, you, you're not permitted to do that. You must listen to the Lord's prophet. Where are you getting your information? Is your information, uh, your understanding, is it coming from demonic sources or divine sources? And you can ask that about just about anything you know. Where did that come from? Is that of God or is that of demons? I just, that's a great question to ask. Okay, it goes on, verse 16. For this is what, what, you, this is what you asked of the Lord, your God, at Horeb on, on the day of the assembly, when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord, our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. So they're, they're like, they didn't want God speaking to them because they were, they were terrified. So verse 17 says, the Lord said to me, what they said is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I commanded, I, I command him. 
basically, that's it right there. That's prophecy. God puts his words in his servant's mouth, and he speaks what the Lord commands. That's simple, pretty simple, right? But now, and, and before I move out here, verse 20 gives a warning here. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods must be put to death. That would be a false prophet. Somebody who says, thus saith the Lord, when the Lord didn't say that. Somebody who, who claims to be speaking for God when God's not speaking that. Um, that would be a false prophet. And the New Testament gives several examples of this. First John 4, verse 1, dear, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into this world. That's New Testament, the past 2,000 years. And have we not seen that? There are many people out there claiming to be speaking for God, and they're not speaking for God. And you're supposed to test the spirits. You're supposed to have discernment. You're supposed to see through that. Do you see through that? Do you realize there are people who are speaking on behalf of God, and there are people who are speaking not on behalf, saying they're speaking for God, but they're not speaking for God. It says in 2 Peter 2, verse 1, I want you to see this one. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Pay attention to that. We're going to come back to this later. But they, they, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. There, was, there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Remember that. Um, and then Jesus says this in, in Mark 13. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform many miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. False prophets, they'll do miracles. They're going to deceive the elect. False prophets, what they say doesn't agree with the Bible. What they say doesn't point to Jesus. False prophets will point to false gods, not, not the Jesus of the Bible. They might talk about Jesus, but not, not the Jesus of the Bible. Real prophets love Jesus. Real prophets point to Jesus. Real prophets speak truth. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, do not, uh, do not put out the, the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to what is good. You have a responsibility. Is this from God? Does this line up with Scripture? Does this glorify Jesus Christ? So, so everything you need, you need to have discernment. You need to figure this out. What is of God? What's not of God? So, so to take you through some history in the Old Testament, um, the prophets, what you know about the prophets, they, they hear from God. They, God speaks to them. God reveals truth to them. And they communicate it to the masses. They communicate it to the people. And the first prophet mentioned in the Bible. Who, anybody? Take a guess. Okay, out loud. Who's the first prophet mentioned in the Bible? Wow, you're good. Okay, that's right. Yeah, Abraham's first prophet. Or, did, or, was it up there already? Okay. Um, for, uh, it says in Genesis 24, 7, now, now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. This is a, um, God talking to Abimelech about Abraham. Return the man's wife, he is a prophet. Abraham is a prophet. This is what God says. And he will um, pray for you, and, and you will live. Oh, so anyway, Abraham's first prophet mentioned. Who's the second prophet mentioned? Don't you show it. It's, oh, stink, who did that? Okay. All right, I did that, okay. I didn't know I had my answers filled in for you already. All right, Aaron is the second prophet. Which That one interests me. Who's Aaron? Aaron is Moses' brother. Moses is the one that we think, whoa, this spiritual giant in Aaron? But this is what it says. It says in Exodus 7, verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. 
God says this to Moses, Aaron, your brother, is going to be your prophet. Now, I had to wrap my mind around that. That just didn't, that didn't seem right to me. Does that click with you guys? Does that make sense to you guys that Aaron would be Moses' prophet? We'll come back to that one a little later. Um, but then Moses is also considered prophet in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, is what Moses says, from among your own brothers, and you must listen to him. And, and, and some of these prophets, we'll get into some more here, but some of the prophets were speaking prophets. They didn't write anything. You think of Elijah, think of Elisha, um, Nathan. Um, and, and some were writing prophets. I think of Ezekiel, I think of Daniel, um, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah. You know, they, some of them wrote things, some of them spoke things. Um, and now, let me give you another one I think is very interesting. Samuel, um, I, I want to show you a couple of verses here. Samuel, 1 Samuel 10, verse 5, uh, Samuel said to Saul, you will meet a, a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres and tambourines and flutes and harps and being played before them, and they will be prophesying. Here's a procession of prophets. This is in 1 Samuel 19, verse 20. Um, they, they, they saw a group of prophets prophesying. They saw a group of prophets prophesying with Samuel standing there as their leader. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 3, uh, it says, the company of prophets at Bethel, the company of prophets, and it also talks about the company of prophets at Jericho, the company of prophets. In 2 Kings 4, verse 38, Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in that region while the company of prophets was meeting with him. What's this company of prophets? And, and, and this, I thought this was fascinating. Henry Halley, he writes, Samuel, it seems, was a founder of a regular order of prophets with schools. First at Ramah, and afterward at Bethel, and then Jericho, and then at Gilgal. A, a school of prophets. A school of prophets. Which makes me ask the question, how do you teach prophecy? How do you teach someone to be a prophet? You think, I think of prophets as, you know, that's, that's somebody with a, a, um, uh, the, 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 the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's a divine calling. Is it something that you can teach? And yet it seems like Samuel were, was teaching people how to be prophets. Can, can I teach you how to be a prophet? Uh, would you want to learn how to be a prophet? I think this is very interesting. There were at least three schools or communities of these prophets and possibly more consisting of men who were devoted to God and served him. They were trained by Samuel to do what? To, to speak the word of God. To speak out against corruption, the corruption of the government, the corruption of the, of the priest in the temple. Um, they, they, were, they, were, they, they, they were trained by Samuel to call people to repent and turn to God. So is this something mystical or is this something very practical? It's interesting. Okay, but the common theme of the prophets throughout the Old Testament, the common, common theme is get right with God. That, that was their message. And Israel ignored the prophets. And they imprisoned the prophets. And they killed the prophets. Jezebel wanted to kill Elijah. Pharaoh wanted to kill Moses. The advisors to the king of Babylon wanted to kill Daniel. John the Baptist was killed by Herod. Jesus was eventually killed by the religious leaders of his day. They weren't very popular. And here... Paul is saying we need to eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. And I'm like, well, but, but, but they kill these guys. Uh, 
but we need to eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. I want to show you a verse in Hosea chapter 9, verse 7. It says, Let Israel know this, because your sins are so many and your hostility so great, the prophet is considered a fool, the inspired man, a maniac. The man who's been inspired by God is written off as a maniac by people who, who are living for their sins, living in hostility to God. Why? Why? Why are prophets not more revered? Why are the prophets not being listened to? Why did Israel treat the prophets like this? And my answer is because the prophets often brought disruption. They often brought judgment. But that's not the whole story. They also brought hope. And they talked about what was coming. They talked about the Messiah that was coming. And, and, and what I see, the prophet's job and I've heard this before as a minister. My job is to hurt the people who are comfortable and comfort the people who are hurting. They always stuck with me. I mean, that's what the prophets did. If you were comfortable, they were out to hurt you. If you were hurting, they were out to comfort you. I thought, that kind of sums up what a preacher does. Um, I step on your toes when your toes need to be stepped on. And, and then I try to comfort you when, when you're hurting. Um, so why be a prophet? Why, when you see how Israel treated the prophets, why be a prophet? And, and my answer is because they were driven by God. A passion for God and a passion for people, that, that the people would be right with God, so people could be blessed by God, uh, so people wouldn't experience the wrath of God. They wanted people to live for God. That's what a prophet did. The prophets, they loved God and they love people. That's why they, that's why they spoke out. So the def definition that I have, if you follow the outline, definition, uh, a prophet is, is a person who proclaims the will of God. It goes back to Deut Deuteronomy 18, I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. He, he proclaims the will of God. They have a passion for God, a passion to see people get right with God. This is the biblical role of prophet to basically, uh, basically telling of the things that are not pleasing to God. And, and pointing to the ways that do please God. So they, they proclaim the will of God. And secondly, the thing I want you to know, they are led by the Holy Spirit. It says this in 2 Peter, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the, man's, by, by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They, they're speaking the words of God as they're being led by the Holy Spirit. All right, now I go back. I think I'm going to ask this a lot. Is that something mystical or is that something practical? To speak the will of God as you're being led by the Holy Spirit. And you and I, all of us in this room who call ourselves Christians, who've been baptized in the water, have received the Holy Spirit, and we are supposed to be led by the Holy Spirit. And if we're all being led by the Holy Spirit, why can we not speak the words of God, the will of God, to, to everyone we encounter? Is, 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 a, is a prophet, you know, is that we're only just talking about a, a few people like Elijah and, and Isaiah and these, you know, like these awesome, great, wonderful people? Or is this something that every Christian should be doing? Every Christian should be led by the Holy Spirit. Every Christian should be speaking the words of God. Their message was repent. Elijah to Israel, that was his message, repent. Jonah to Nineveh, repent. Isaiah to Israel, repent. Jeremiah to Judah, repent. Daniel to Babylon, you need to repent. 
It says in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, that's the definition of repentance, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and will heal, heal their land. So a message of repentance, but also a message of hope. I will heal their land. I want to heal their land if they would repent, if they would listen to me. That was the message that the prophet said, will you please listen to God so he can heal our land, so he can bless your life. So the repentance and hope is a big part of what a prophet does. And, and, and I read this. I thought this was, it was helpful for me. It's, it's foretelling and foretelling. And I want to see if I can break that down. Foretelling, when we think of like a prophet who is always talk, talking about the future, well, in the Old Testament, they did a lot of that. Um, and they were, they were called seers. Uh, they were known for foretelling, kind of like you know, what a forecast is. They're telling you what's going to happen. Uh, the, you know, we, we talk about the future, the unforeseeable future. Well, the prophets had a way of seeing what was going to happen in the future. That, that was the Holy Spirit had given them insight to what was going to happen in the future. 25% of your Bible is foretelling, predicting something that's going to happen in the future. It could be a famine that's coming. It could be the fall of Jerusalem, uh, the coming of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the second coming. And I have in your outline uh, what I want us to look at today, some of the prophecies uh, around the birth of Jesus Christ as we, as we enter into the Advent season. You look at the, the, the born of a virgin, well, that was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give, give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah wrote that 700 years before Jesus was born. And then history records, this is what happened. That's what it says in Matthew 1, verse 18, and verse 24 and 25. That, that, that the Messiah would come from the seed of Abraham was prophesied in Genesis 22, verse 18, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. That was told to Abraham back in Genesis 22. Through your offspring, Abraham, all nations will be blessed. What's that talking about? It's talking about the Messiah that was going to come through Abraham, through the line of Abraham. And, and he would come through the tribe of Judah. In Genesis 49, verse 10, it says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. Jesus came from the line of Judah. It was, it was prophesied back in Genesis that the Messiah would come through the line of Judah. He'd be through the line of Jesse. That was uh, David's father. Jesse's David's father. Isaiah 11 says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will, will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And the Spirit of knowledge and, and, and the, of the fear of the Lord. And that he would be the son of David. And uh, that's, that's in Jeremiah 23. And that he was born in Bethlehem. That's in Micah 5 verse 2. You, Bethlehem, though you are small among the class of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel. Out of Bethlehem. Micah called it 500 years before it happened. Micah said this is what's going to happen. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and that he would be presented with gifts. You know, the three magi, or the, 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 the three wise men, we, say, we don't know if it's three. Um, the wise men came, magi came. This is what it says in uh, Psalm 72, verse 10. The kings of, of Tarshish and of distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of, of Sheba and, and Seba will present, will present him gifts. The wise men who brought the frankincense and, and um, gold and, and, and myrrh. And that Herod would kill all the children in Bethlehem. That was prophesied in Jeremiah 31, verse 15. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. 
That was prophecy concerning Herod killing all the, baby, the massacre that happened in Bethlehem after Jesus' birth. Um, all of it prophesied. And there's so many more, so many more. I'm just trying to give you a taste. And, and, and I would tell you, all these prophecies is, is what uh, is the most convincing proof that, that Jesus is who he says he is. Um, it, it's what, over, you know, when I looked at all the prophecies, I was overwhelmed. How can you walk, how can you disobey this God? How can you walk away from this God who has made himself known and proven who he is? 1 Corinthians 14 uh, equates revelation with prophecy. Prophecy, the, the, the revelation of something, you know, a hidden truth or an upcoming event. And, and all this, all the prophecy about what's going to happen is great evidence that God has perfect knowledge of all things, past, present, future. That God is sovereign over all. He knows it all. He knows everything. Isaiah, Isaiah says this, I am I'm God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. This is our God. He's an awesome God. And I hope that you see that in, in, in how he used the prophets to make known his will. So a lot of it was foretelling. 25% of it was foretelling. But in the New Testament, it's not so much foretelling as it's foretelling. It's, telling, it's not telling what's going to happen so much as, as proclaiming what has happened. The foretelling is uh, what the definition. The foretelling is you know, to bring forth, to, to, to bring into light, to bring something out of the shadows. And to, to, to make known to our world, do you know what God has done? And to proclaim that to a world that, that is living in darkness, a world that doesn't know how awesome our God is. So we proclaim what our great and awesome God has done so other people can hear, so other people will know. We, God's church, the body of Christ, we have this awesome privilege of making known to the world the mysteries of God that he's already made known to us through his word. And, and, and I wrote this down at the end of the sermon. I'm going to say it now. That, 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 um, how, did, how did I write it down? Uh, that that um, we, 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 we want to make prophecy about you know, some mystical divine revelation. This is divine revelation. All we have to do is speak it. That's all we have to do. And, and there, there might be more. I mean, I think I said this last week. People, some people have the gift of, of evangelism, but all of us have been called to evangelism. Some people have the gift of generosity, but all of us should be generous. Some people in here might have a special gift of prophecy, but shouldn't all of us prophesy, proclaim the word of God as we're led along by the Holy Spirit? Shouldn't we all be doing that? We should all be doing that. So, so some characteristics in the New Testament. Well, Paul addresses here in 1 Corinthians 14. Prophets, prophecy strengthens and encourages and comforts. He says this in, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. Everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. See, if, if I can, like Samuel taught a school of prophets, if I can teach us, to speak the word of God, this, this is the result. The, the church will be strengthened, people will be encouraged, and people will be comforted. How awesome is that? What a wonderful thing for everybody to be doing, to be strengthening each other, for be encouraging each, each, each other, to be comforting each other with the words of God. Um, 
a beautiful picture of the spiritual gift of prophecy. In, in, in verse, uh, verse 4, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4, it um, says, Prophecy edifies the church. But he who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. What's that mean? It, he, you're, you're building up the church. You're making the church stronger. You're, you're building up knowledge of God, building up wisdom, the wisdom of God, understanding, character, and how desperately this world needs knowledge and understanding and wisdom and character. This, this is the result of if we speak the word of God and people are listening to the word of God, this would be the end result. The world needs this. It's not some new word from God or some new truth. It's simply taking what's already been given us and making it known to others. So we have an understanding, so we can have an understanding, so we can implement it into our lives, so people can implement it into our lives. Um, prof, prophets instruct. It's what it, it talks about in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 6 through 7. Uh, equates prophecy with the words of instruction. Uh, so in, 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 in this sense, prophecy is the same, is, is a synonym for teaching. It's a synonym for preaching. And, and am I hitting kind of a nerve here where prophecy is something mystical, but preaching is an everyday thing? I mean, anybody can be a preacher, but somebody special has to be a prophet. I'm thinking being a preacher is prophesying. You're, you're, you're proclaiming the word of God. If you're teaching a Sunday school, you're proclaiming the word of God. And, and let me take you back to 2 Peter uh, chapter 2. There, there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Is it not saying a false prophet is the same thing as a false teacher? Which means a, real pro- a, a true prophet is the same thing as a true biblical teacher. If you're teaching a Sunday school, if you're teaching a small, a small group someplace, if, if you're teaching the word of God to your children, you're prophesying. That's what it is. We don't need to complicate it. That's, what I, that's my, my conviction here. And, and prophecy convicts. Um, Nathan to David, Jonah to Nineveh, Peter on the day of Pentecost. It says in 1, Peter, or 1 Corinthians 14, verse 24, if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be con- con- convinced or convicted by all that he is a sinner and, and, and will be judged by all. Uh, 1 Corinthians... It, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul envisions a congregation in which this gift happens at all levels. At all levels. Here on the, in the, at the pulpit, in our classrooms, in our homes, in your day-to-day conversations, at all levels, we should be seeking, eagerly desiring the gift of prophecy because we see the benefits of prophecy. It builds up the church. It strengthens. It, it comforts. It encourages. It instructs. It convicts so people will know God and live for God. We should all be doing this. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 24. If all of you, if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers are people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and, and judged by what you say. And as they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. Preaching the Bible, teaching the Bible, prophesying the truth, allows unbelievers, non-Christians, to, to come to learn, to understand, so they can hear the Word of God, so they can understand the Word of God, so they can be convicted by God, so they can repent, so they can be saved and experience all the blessings that God wants to give them. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy is what Paul writes. I don't want you just to understand what this is. I want us to do this. I want us to eagerly desire 
to prophesy to a world that needs to hear from God the importance of prophecy. First uh, Corinthians 14.1, follow the ways of love and eagerly de- desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Three times Paul makes known that we are to desire, desire this gift. Three times. And, and, and we never talk about it. We never talk. Why? We should be raising up preachers among us. Paul's message is, if, if you really want the spiritual gifts, this is the gift that you should want. Seek the gift that builds up the church, that edifies, that helps others know the will of God, that helps other, the, the lost come to God. A.W. Tozer, a modern-day prophet in our times, back in the 50s. Is it still our times? I don't know. I'm getting so old. Um, he, he writes this. If Christianity is to receive a reju- reju- rejuvenation, it must be by other means than by, by now being used. If the church in the second half of the century is to recover from the injuries that she suffered in the first half, there must appear a new type of preacher. The proper ruler of the synagogue type will never do. Neither will the priestly priestly type of man who carries out his duties, takes his pay, and asks no questions. Nor the smooth-talking pastoral type who knows how to make the Christian religion acceptable to everyone. See, he said, nor the smooth-talking pastoral pastor type. That's why I'm not smooth talking. Um, right there. See? Right there. Right there. Um, all these have been tried and found wanting, he writes. All, it's not getting the job done. It's not getting the job done. Another kind of religious leader must arise among us. He must be the old prophet type, a man who has seen visions of God and has heard the voice from the throne. And when he comes, and I pray, God, there will not be one, but many, He will stand in flat contradiction to everything our smirking, smooth civilization holds dear. He will contradict, denounce, and protest in the name of God and will earn the hatred and opposition of a large segment of Christendom. Such a man is likely to be lean. I'm trying, I'm trying, okay, and rugged and blunt spoken and a little bit angry with the world. And he will love Christ and the souls of men to the point of willingness to die for the glory of the one and the salvation of the other. But he will fear nothing that breathes with mortal breath. I hope I can be that person. And I pray that God raises up more people like this in this church and in all of our churches. In Christianity, we need people who speak out and speak up and speak the truth so that people will be saved. But the warning is, if you do this, you're going to get rejected. You'll be considered a fool. That's what it says in Hosea chapter 9. The world will look at you as a fool. You see this in Jesus, and we're all supposed to be Christ-like, Right? We call ourselves Christians so we would be Christ-like. And Jesus was recognized to be a prophet. In John 4, 19, he's talking to the woman at the well, and she says, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. And he was. And he was so much more, but he was a prophet. In John 6, verse 14, after the people saw the miraculous signs that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the, the prophet who is to come into the world. In John 7, verse 40, On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is a prophet. 
In Luke 7, verse 16, they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. Jesus was recognized as a prophet. And he confronted people. He confronted the religious leaders. And he encouraged and he strengthened people. And he always sought the will of God. He says, I can do nothing, for I seek not to please myself for him, but him who sent me. Jesus had a passion to bring glory to his heavenly Father and a passion to bring the lost to his Father. We look at Jesus. We do what Jesus did. And I want you to hear what Jesus said. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. If you just love God and love others. And if you did that, if you truly love God and you love others, would you just not naturally, as the, as the Holy Spirit leads you, would you just not naturally speak up and speak out and speak truth and make known the mysteries of God to, to, that, that have been entrusted to you so, so that your friends, so your neighbors, so your loved ones will be convicted and, and so they will live in awe of God? So, back page of the outline, if you got an outline application here, let me, let me ask three questions here. First of all, what is your desire? When Paul writes, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Okay, Paul wrote it. Do you do that? Are you desiring the gift of prophecy? What's your desire? He writes in verse 39, therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy. Anybody here eager to prophesy? Is this your desire? What can I do? What can I say to, to help you have this desire? Paul clearly writes it. It's, it's clearly what the Word of God says that you should desire. Do you desire it? Second question, what's your motive? Why would you desire this gift? Just so you can um, you know, talk well and, and act intelligent and people be impressed with you? Um, is that why you desire the gift? Um, so you can criticize other people? Is that why we desire the gift? No, no. Do you love God? Do you love others? Our motive should be love. Follow the ways of love. Love should be what, what, is, what is prompting us to desire this gift. Because we love God. Because we love others. It's not because we have a critical spirit and we just want to complain about something. That's not the point of prophecy. Um, so what's my desire? What's my motive? And what is the end result? Is the church being built up? The one who prophesies edifies the church. Is that happening? Is the church growing? Is the church becoming stronger? Is the church being built up? Are people repenting? Are people growing in their knowledge and their understanding and their character? Are people becoming stronger in their walk with Christ, their walk with God? Are they becoming more hopeful because they know that what we see right now is not, not the end of the story? We know how the story ends. Or is the church becoming weaker and people not repenting, and people not obeying. Let me give you one, one final prophecy here from Jesus. The, the great prophet Jesus, our Messiah, this is what he says. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. 
That's what Jesus says. If you put your faith in him, you will not perish. You will experience eternal life. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned. What a beautiful prophecy. Now, it doesn't stop there. It goes on. It says, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. There's the warning. There's, there's what, what Jesus is trying to make known to every one of us. If you don't put your faith in him, you are already condemned because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But everyone who lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. I read that. This is, this is from Jesus, and it seems to me that now everyone here needs to make a decision. Are you going to live for Jesus, or are you going to live in darkness? We are called as God's people to hide the word of God into our hearts so we might not sin against God. We are called to use God's word as a light to, to light our pathway. It reveals to us God's will. It shows us what's normal in this upside-down world. The scriptures are corrective glasses through which we, we look at the world and, and we see clearly. When we, when we look through the, the eyes of God, we see clearly. And from that clarity, we prophesy to a world that can't see because they're living in darkness. It's my hope, my prayer, every Christian would desire this gift. That every Christian would speak the word of God. 